Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of coming out later in life after having been married. The show is about whiskey. This conversation is pretty brilliant. Today's guest, Mr. Chris Seals, co-founder and CEO of Still Austin. Let's talk about Still Austin for a moment. You have a full functioning distillery that will exist in South Austin that allows you to learn about whiskey, allows you to craft your own whiskey as a consumer, has a beautiful tasting room, and they're just neighbors down the street from us at Genius Liquids. This is a great project. It's something completely pioneering and innovative in Austin and spirits in Texas. But the bigger theme here is bonding. Bonding with your father, bonding with your father over whiskey. Chris has an amazing story, has done a lot of different things in a lot of different industries, but this Still Austin project is really founded on love and a love of whiskey. So I hope you guys enjoy this chat with co-founder and CEO of Still Austin Whiskey Company, Mr. Chris Seals. a alcohol enthusiast the place where it started for me was yeah. um i i'm kind of unusual in the sense that i like i think almost everybody that is in the alcohol business yeah. had like a love for the spirit that's kind of where their roots started sometimes yeah sure um but mine is kind of different uh for and this is just for me personally not right, still right. austin but just for me personally uh my dad uh he had retired. Mm-hmm. Um, he he and I we had a relationship, but not like a really deep relationship. Sure. But you get, did and you grow up together? At we, least? Did. Okay. we did. We did. We grew up together, and then I'm gay. I came out. Yeah. And that really was kind of for my dad and kind of like my family background. That was really hard for them to accept that. What what part of the country are we talking about? Uh, East Texas. East Texas. Um, okay. So I knew it had to be someplace a little bit more kind of. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not. Not. I mean, East Texas is great, uh, sure, sure. but. Uh, it was just kind of, it was different. Yeah. Um, uh, when did you was, come out? Uh, I didn't come out until really, I kind of came out in a long process, but sure. really like fully out, uh, going back about five years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so pretty yeah. recent then. Yeah. So the, I, uh, like when I came out, like they had a really hard time accepting. Yeah. Kind of do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have okay. uh, two brothers and a sister. So, so are you kind of the odd man out? In that uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's even and more then, difficult then. Yeah, it's just kind of you know everybody else kind of fits the you know quintessential mold, and right. so. Um, and then I was married to a woman before and got mm-hmm. divorced, and that was really hard for everybody to kind of accept. And uh, I, my dad though. Uh, he he made a big impression on me when I when I first said okay I've I've got to kind of make a change in my life here. And, right. Uh, he had a really hard time with it, but he 
after I said, hey, I'm getting divorced, uh, he called me. He said, hey, I really kind of wish I had come to see you face-to-face to tell you this, but I really want right, to tell right. you it right now, uh, and I don't want to wait. Um, but I understand that you think you are doing what is best for you mm-hmm. and for your family. And I want you to know that I do not like it one bit. Wow. Why was he so... What? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But I am going to support it oh, 100%. Thank you. Okay. It was so... And I, I remember just being like so taken back by that. Yeah. That he's going to support... Like, this is really hard for him to accept, but he's going to support me 100%. That's amazing. It was it was huge. What and kind so, of industry... What kind of guy is he? Like, is he an oil guy? Is uh, he a he's farmer? He's an interesting or, guy. Yeah. He is a... He's kind of a... Uh, He's got a kind of a cool background. He yeah. um, he has a career in the beverage industry. Oh no, kidding! Uh, and he created the brand Sunkist in the no late seventies and shit. early eighties. Pretty good. Kind of took it through its first couple of years. So That's he had amazing. like a lot of background in uh, beverages. So uh, to say that it wasn't in your DNA is yeah, probably yeah, it's not definitely in my DNA. Yeah, uh, in that regard. And Sunkist back then was the first non-cola soft drink. So it was kind of revolutionary really? in its time. It kind of changed the whole world of what soft drinks were. Was it the first was orange the first it one? It was the first orange oh, that's drink. Amazing. So anyway, so he was instrumental in creating that with a group of really small intimate group of about yeah. five people. Um and this is kind of a similar sort of thing like with Phil Austin. Yeah, uh, but the what happened for me was a, about a year or two after that he came to me and said, I am bored. I'm you know he's retired. Uh-huh. Um I want to start a whiskey distillery. Will you help me? And I said to him, I will help you 100%. That's amazing. I'm going to get behind it. Yeah. Uh, And so I didn't know quite what that would mean because I just really thought what it would probably mean doing a lot of feasibility studies. You know the money part of it, right? I have learned through the years that 99% of all good ideas are actually bad ideas. That's right. uh, (laughs) Until you turn them into a good idea, right? (laughs) Well, so I kind of went into this thinking, this is a bad idea, but it's a really Mm. good idea to get to know my dad. And I thought, we're going to go from distillery to distillery, tasting their products, and we're going to bond and have kind of a rebuilding a of our... Yes. That's incredible. It's going to be awesome. And do you know that whiskey is the way that we came to know each other? It was. It became this really, really special thing for rebuilding my relationship with my dad. Yeah. Um, That's beautiful. Man. It was awesome. It really I mean, it is. Really, I mean, you cannot believe how good it's been. Um, what what kind of guy is he? A Scotch guy, bourbon guy? He is a bourbon guy. Yeah, um, love it. he loves bourbon. He he's a, like an amateur winemaker, and he do, he makes all sorts of stuff. Like he cool. he's very uh, he, he likes to tinker. Yeah. Uh, with things. He likes oh, I to, bet. He, he loves Quite to creative, around. but very also creative, scientific, unbelievably bit. creative. Um, and so anyway, we started visiting different distilleries. We've we've visited probably about a hundred distilleries across North America wow. uh, now just seeing like how does everybody do it like what what do they do and learning from their experiences because like one of the things that we noticed early on so like putting on my economist hat you know i started looking at the market sure what's you know and it was uh like one of the first things we ran across was just you know adi studies saying you know before prohibition there were eight thousand distilleries in the united states and then kind of look at like who are the whiskey makers of today you know 90 there's like say night we don't, I don't know that I can put an exact number, but about ninety eight percent of all whiskey made in the United States mm. today is made by eighteen distilleries in yep. Kentucky and Tennessee. That's 
Fair. So absolutely, no, yeah. No, like you know, from for the last eighty-three years post-prohibition, no innovation necessarily. In fact, well, not large greater, spread anyway, right? Like it's just totally cloistered in like small little spots. Yes, you know. Yeah, well, like, well, let me say. Like, I see Prohibition as a really interesting time in American history, but I yeah. think this is even more interesting because we're, sure. like, on the edge of craft spirits. Now. It's almost the opposite of Prohibition. It is. The, the it influx is. and the uh, promulgation of yes. distillers all over. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, and there's so much uh, new thought. People are, you know, I know for us, like, we see whiskey as kind of fitting kind of within a box of the standards of identity. Yeah. But we really want to push the edges of that. Interesting. Uh, be able to... Uh, be more experimental with our whiskey making and yeah. not try to emulate what has been already done very well in Kentucky and Tennessee. I cannot and, agree more. Like sometimes, you know, cause there's a lot, obviously lots of distillers in Texas making whiskey, well, a lot, a lot for us, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. But at some point I got to go back to and say, is this as good as the $20 bottle of Buffalo Trace? You know what I mean? Uh -huh, cause totally. if I, if I'm trying to beat that or trying to be that, it better do it. And we're, we're just not there yet. So to no your way. point, the innovation piece, perhaps that's the linchpin. That's exactly where you start to thrive and create new markets. And for us, like I, so I, uh, my family, so on my mom's side, we come from like a family, a, a farming family. Okay. Uh, the, the, the farm that I grew up on going to every summer and yeah. kind of spending all of my childhood on, uh, my great grandfather uh, uh, homesteaded it. And now it's been like in our family over 120 years. That's amazing. And so we have like this big, long farming tradition. Um, what were you bring, guys growing on the farm? Uh, what well, we grew, uh, now we grow primarily soybean, but mm. uh, corn, tobacco back oh, in the day. It was wow. a big cash crop. Uh, yeah. Not anymore, but uh, uh, still today, primarily corn. That's crazy. Uh, and so w like having grown up uh, kind of within sort of a farming uh, community yeah. and farm economy, uh, I kind of had like a certain view of what what it is to have uh, a connection to the kind of the terroir yeah, element yeah. of uh, food and beverages. So feeling connected. Yes. You know, because it's interesting. It seems like you have a couple punctuations or a couple chapters where you go academic. You know, you say, I think you're U of H. Finance, uh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. so, so you're doing finance. You get this degree. But the thing that makes it different, and I think it makes you more connected and more rooted, no pun intended, you understand the cost to the land. Yes, you exactly. You smelt it. Your hands yes, have been dirty, absolutely. you know? A lot of guys don't get to go into that depth. Mm -hmm. And the, to us, like, okay, so we, like, developed this whole, not me, but, like, our team. We yeah. have, like, a little, uh, there's a group of us, there's six of us that were kind of had the same vision of creating an Austin-based whiskey distillery. Yeah. Uh, my dad and I, the, uh, Lisa and Andrew Bronberg and Sal and Joanna Salinas, all from different backgrounds. We actually all met at a whiskey making class and we were all wanting to start this in Austin. We were wow. like, we should start together. That's crazy. And so it was kind of a, a lucky find that we had this little group of people that all, we all became friends and wanted to start a whiskey distillery. But like as we began looking at, well, what would be an Austin-based whiskey? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of thought that went into that. Um, yeah, what does that mean, right? Yeah. yeah. The, and for us, we think of uh, craft kind of existing on two axes. One is kind of the terroir, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the taste of this place, sure. having been made in this place, being of this place. Aged uh, this place. Which aged is this place. Yeah. Uh, the other element being the technique. Uh, how do we, uh, what do we do different from a technique standpoint, yeah. um, which is kind of more common to the, you know, more akin with the brewing, like 
breweries tend to not have a lot of focus on the terroir of their grains. Right, right. Uh, but they do have a lot of focus on, you know, different techniques with the same inputs, different outputs, Water pH, really. which is an interesting one because it's sure. not really terroir, but it is, in fact, something that is native to the beers that they're trying to emulate. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Limestone filtering with, the bur- you know, bourbon and everything. The type of mill, how freshly it's milled, all yeah. of those sort of things, those techniques kind of affect the flavor of the final uh, beer. Yeah, so many things to consider. And so we, so like, I look at these guys in Kentucky and Tennessee, and I wonder, from an economist standpoint, why is it that these 18 people still control 98% of the market, sure, sure. right? We've had, we've had solidly major innovation in every other food category, every technology. Like, right. you think about like how, like, compare today with 1933, and there's very few things that you can say are basically the same sure. in 1933 as they are today. Yeah. Um, and so we had like kind of not a lot of innovation in the, in the whiskey space, uh, during this time. So why is that? One part is the laws kind of making it difficult, but you don't really see that as much in gin or tequila or Mm other, you know, other spirits categories, lots of, uh, innovation and daring, uh, uh, kind of edge pushing. Mm. Uh, what I see is kind of another sort of, uh, I don't know that I can really fully say this is entirely the reason for it, but I'd say it's a significant part. I think that uh, these guys in Kentucky and Tennessee, they really created a barrier to entry with the aging component of their yeah, they had story, start, didn't right? they? Right. Yeah. So, like, but like, kind of historically, kind of going, kind of rolling back the clock, you know, say another fifty years earlier. Mm. Most whiskey made in the United States was consumed without being aged uh, or matured in a barrel. It may have been moved in a barrel, or you may have been able to get it locally. Right. Where like you light whiskey, blend, yeah, yeah, light whiskey, or like the the barrel component was about transportation as much m- much more so than it was about flavor development. Right. Okay. Uh, so being able to take bourbon from uh, Kentucky, you know, down the Mississippi to New Orleans, mm. uh, you have. Uh, you know this kind of development of aging as a part of the of the product or that makes a good component of the product but i actually think like as time has gone on that has been kind of bolstered as a barrier to entry so sure. the and if you go to any kentucky tennessee distillery the first thing that part of in the tour what they'll do is have you taste their new make uh, whiskey yeah. and it will taste extremely shitty because they, they want it. I, I think, honestly, they want it to taste bad. Uh, really? They, I do. What? Because it's all about the distillation technique, right? Yeah. And your and choices I, at that point. You're, you're right. I think a bad new make makes a bad old make, though. You know what I mean? Uh, like, you can get... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this, this is the good thing about whiskey, is that it is an art. And so, you know, you'll like certain variations of yeah. it. And, and conversely, you know. But I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting there, point. I, my... Uh, observation it they it is distilled typically at a low, low proof sure uh it does have a lot of a lot of things going on in it some people do like it depends on how developed their palate is and things like that right. but in general there's been kind of a global trend towards more neutral spirits at different mm-hmm. you know kind of over the last two centuries and um you so you have this product that generally tastes bad and then you kind of uh follow it up with a product that tastes amazing that's been in the barrel for 10 years. Right. And so it kind of reinforces a perception that bad before the barrel, awesome afterwards. Or so like the aging uh, component of the uh, production is yeah. really the art or is, is the, a lot of the intrigue. So 
as a starting point, as a uh, innovative spirit, we kind of look at kind of globally, what is aging? What is aging? Right. Um, uh, you know, in Scotland, it's a 10 year process where the whiskey doesn't get very warm or cold, doesn't expand or contract very mm. much. The, 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 it doesn't push into the barrel very often. Uh, Not like it does out here. Especially, right. Yeah. So yeah, when you compare, say, Scotland with, say, um, Kentucky, yeah. uh, the, the, instead of a 10 or 15 year product, you're looking at, you know, a, you know, four or six year product. Mm-hmm. Then like take that same aging process. It's no different necessarily, but look at it in a place like tequila. Yeah. Uh, we're typically most te- aged tequilas are aged for a year. Yeah. Uh, maybe a small portion is aged for two years and a very small for three. Right. Uh, or look at, um, agricole rum, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a year or, or maybe two. Uh, so in like warmer climates, the maturation of the spirit tends to kind of reflect that climate getting hot and cold more often right. and a faster maturation overall. And I so, think I know where you're going. Yeah. So yeah, our, like we don't really have like a uh, preconceived idea of what the aging and maturation ought to be right. in a place like we have in Austin where it does get hot and cold a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we want to be open to that, kind of accept what the climate provides for us. Yeah. Um, uh, but as a starting point, especially kind of, uh, economically thinking of being a startup distillery and, and being in a time of, uh, innovation and spirits and, um, and also kind of looking at who's leading the, the, the way in spirit innovation is more of a millennial, uh, revolution really. Um, yeah. uh, the younger people are kind of, uh, they're getting empowered. Well, and, you, you know, I, I, this is the thing is a good piece of conversation. People, with so much information now, they feel like they can make the decision they need to yes. make without anybody telling them that they can, and that's the opportunity, right? So yeah. it's like, okay, well, you what it self discovery, right? Absolutely, that's and that's how brands are, and that's how whiskey is, and in a way, that's why I think brands like Old Rittenhouse or Old Granddad uh-huh. just will have their place because yeah. no one's put you know Beam's not putting a bunch of money behind it mm-hmm. in the case of. Uh, well, granted, so people will discover it. Yes, I and I and I think that there is a there's a space for almost every every spirit sure. in kind of today's world. It's not it isn't uh, like you look at uh, kind of what beer was twenty years ago. You know, mm. most of the market dominated by three brands. Today, you know, there's you look at the shelf, beer shelf. I mean, there's so much variety, decentralized, right? totally. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's still quite centralized well, to it an is. extent, but, uh, but much better than it was. Way, point, way better. Years and ago, like, yeah. and what you find today will not be what you find in three months sure. uh, on the shelf. And yeah. so, there's the opportunity for ongoing innovation, not a new innovation that now takes a place, you know, kind of a its own throne. Right. But, you know, it has a, it's, it's kind of going somewhere and the, the, there's kind of an ongoing movement within the craft spirits market that I think that that will be, ref- I think that what we see in beer now, which is, you know, 20 years ahead of us, mm-hmm. uh, we will see that in craft spirits and we are seeing it now because you see things kind of come and go and, and customers uh, kind of finding something new, like to your, to your point about, uh, People being able to discover a spirit that's not really have a lot of marketing dollars right. behind it, but and discover it despite like the history of it, you know, which yes. is a century worth probably with, with old granddad. But. Right, yeah, but the, and that's kind of the intrigue, right? With old granddad is that you can kind of discover kind of all of the all the background behind this. There's yeah. like a great tradition. It's kind of cool, and you can kind of identify with that mm-hmm. uh, element as much as you could uh, identify with something else for different reasons, sure. and the and the two don't have to be. Competing necessarily no, in the right. same category, exactly. even though they both could be whiskeys. 
Uh, but for us, we felt like, and I think partially because of farming background and all uh, several of us on the team have a farming background. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought that the beginning of making an Austin based whiskey needs to have a focus on local grown grains right. provided by Texas farmers. And what we found when we started to kind of look was that here locally, the infrastructure to be able to bring grains to market Mm -hmm. has been decimated. It is gone. If I go to buy grains, I can go to the closest grain elevator, which is 300 miles away. And I'm very likely to get grains grown in Europe. Yeah. Despite the fact that it is grown right here. Right, right. And then so you start to look at like, well, what happened in Prohibition? Um, it, did that actually cause a big change in grain? Because we think about like, I, we, we, I think about like, uh, you know, breads uh, today. If I bought a loaf of bread in New York or in Los Angeles, it's probably going to taste about the same. Right. Whereas maybe going back 100 years, if I bought a loaf of bread in in New York, it is going to taste very different sure. from what you would get in Los Angeles because well, you get of these the other cultures. Yeast is a huge piece of that. Yeah, yeast, uh, all everything in the climate right. uh, and the grain variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started looking at the funny. Uh, the first agricultural census of tex- in Texas happened to be in the year that prohibition was instated. Oh, interesting. And so in 1919, and so. Um, when we started looking at what were the grains that were grown here, we were astounded to find that there was a large amount of grains that were grown that were that are that were grown then, none of which are grown now. Right, right. Um, but they were grown primarily for their flavor. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I've been looking at uh, every day. I kind of try to go through a couple more articles in the Austin Statesman, which mm-hmm. is the predecessor to the Austin American Statesman newspaper. Right. Kind of looking at like the history of prohibition, uh, which you can now look at online. Yeah. Uh, searchable too. It's amazing. It's really nice. Yeah, it's, um, it's great. But anyway, uh, I was running across something the other day where um, uh, putting on my economist hat again. In today's dollars, uh, 1.2 billion dollars in farm receipts wiped out by prohibition. Oh, Jesus. And primarily for grains grown for their flavor. Interesting. Okay. And so now we have whiskey that is made from yellow dead corn. Right. It's awesome. It, t- it, tastes, all- it tastes great. Right. But it's, you know, there's a, uh, what we have noticed kind of in our uh, playing around with different distillates that, from different grains, a distillate that comes from a bloody butcher red corn tastes completely different. I bet. A, a distillate that it, it, even with, you know, can keep everything in control the same, mm-hmm. um, play with a, a hoppy blue corn, uh, a Mexican green corn, yeah. all of those very different flavor profile and indigenous to our area, yeah. not to Kentucky and Tennessee. Right. And so, so I see the competitive edge kind of breaking forward here. We, <laughs> we see grains as a great place to start. Yeah. It's the Simple grains can make very different and amazing spirits. Sure. And, and God only knows what the, the blending of those grains would do. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we, you know, we wanted to start with what makes sense for us from a, from a terroir standpoint. Yeah, yeah. What is an Austin-made whiskey? You know, first, it needs to come from this place. It needs to be of this place. Mm-hmm. That, what that means for us is we have started partnering with uh, Barton Mill, yeah, which is a new mill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, 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 we, we, uh, Mish, and then we want to kind of bring in a, a number of different bakeries, but mm-hmm. 
there is there's really for Austinites, I think, a great opportunity to have a local grain economy, right? Uh, and th- that could go to brewers as well, or anybody who uses. Especially grains. here, you're right. Yeah, and so, but like right now, that that infrastructure is not there, so it has to do with you know putting in place things like grain silos yep. and uh, uh, grain Miller, cleaning. Milleries, is it called? Uh, there's mills. mills uh, we fresh mill on site, and okay. other mills you can buy like. Bread makers tend to like to have no, their, their own mill uh, because it, it the the adjustments in the milling right. can have a difference in the. Well, texture what about and malting? Flavor. How about that? Is malting malting yeah. absolutely? And we have a North, yeah, we obviously have a, mal, a malt maltster here yeah, now maltster, in Leander. Like it, yeah. um, and so, but we think that there's a great opportunity for a local grain economy, and so we've started to try to kind of partner mm-hmm. with those folks to build that uh, infrastructure and. It means like real investment, uh, uh, not just on the part of the farmer, but on the part of the buyer as well. Uh, Like Barton Mills, they invested in a system to be able to clean the grain so we can actually take it from farm to market and have it ready for it to be milled for use in whiskey. That was a major investment that they kind of will benefit from from being able to kind of build that piece of the supply chain. Well, it's interesting. So most people, you can they're hopping on a train that's already moving. Yeah. Right. Right. So yes, whiskey. Sure. I mean, people drink whiskey. You can mm-hmm. sell whiskey in Austin, make it in Austin. Of course, that's that'll work, right? On sure. paper, especially as an economist. But the fact that you have to change the economy itself, yes, and the actual <laughs> infrastructure right. to accommodate right the innovation. I mean, that's that's a massive thing. I, the, the, it's like Lake Havasu City. I just watched this thing, right? So Lake Havasu City, they brought in the London Bridge, mm-hmm. transported it, planted it in the middle of the desert, just so people would come. They changed the infrastructure. So, wow. in other words, like you're Love making it. this massive investment to change, because eventually people's minds and hearts will change. Yes, but you have to make yeah. it available first. And the hearts and minds side of it too. We think that there's a lot of opportunity for you know just people who are whiskey geeks that want to try out different things. Oh yeah, like you know this is a great you know city for geeks and laboratories and innovation, sure. uh, edgy thinking. Um, and so we also see like uh, we've been talking like kind of a lot about the terroir side, which is a big part of our approach. Yeah. Um, and we're really lucky too to have like a lot of urban farms here. By the way, that oh, yeah. uh, do some brandies, right? <laughs> they, they yes, we could do some brandies because we got some great uh, grapes here. Yeah. Uh, but um, the East Austin farms have been very warm to us, having a small plot of a grain that is no longer available. Wow. If we're able to get like a, say, a uh, half cup of seed, we could grow a small plot there when we are, ha- we do have some things in the ground now that literally are grains that were grown pre-prohibition for their flavor that are not available now. That's you true. cannot go to a market and buy them. Yeah. They take a couple of seasons uh, and harvest to be able to kind of uh, have enough seed to right. be able to to do something with. So. Uh, we have we have forward thinking urban farmers that kind of are interested in bringing back some of that original because biodiversity uh, is a massive problem. Huge. Yes, and so if they said, "Oh, you want to go go through the painstaking labor of growing these grains?" They'll give us a please do it. it. Yeah. Right, here's exactly. some seeds. Hell, so, here's well, a they, hoe. They didn't right? give us the seeds, but they gave well, us the hoe, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the land, yeah, um, which is great. And so uh, on the technique side, though, we really did not like. Still, Austin, it's a bit of a bigger operation, I say, than I'd say than most craft distilleries, uh, because we wanted to have the ability to do everything yeah. in house, like from uh, milling, mashing, 
fermenting, distilling, yeah. barreling, bottling, everything. Everything. And that's very rare to find right now sure. in the whiskey industry. There's a lot of uh, focus just on, you know, buying whiskey that's already been aged in another environment and it's blending. It's easier, it's it, cheaper. Right? It's cheaper, yeah. it's easier, but it's and there's some artistry. I mean, that is one of the one of the elements of whiskey making is blending together of different barrels of sure. whiskey because they each barrel does taste different. Yeah. But we don't want to have we don't want to be limited just to that one art. We want to have kind of a broader spectrum. But we also we see no reason why Austin should not lead the way. I mean, we they, we have a, a lot of millennials that live here. Mm. A lot of millennials move here. A lot of forward thinking. Um, uh, still, Austin should be a place where it's kind of a maker's lab. Yeah, oh yeah. Test your senses. Test your techniques. An incubator. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we designed, we, we were very lucky, as you probably have discovered, there's not a lot of knowledge out there about uh, how to build a whiskey distillery. These guys no. in Kentucky and Tennessee, they <laughs> like to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. we were very fortunate to find Michael Delavante. Michael Delavante is, he was the master distiller for Appleton Rum. Oh, wow. He's 85 years old. Where does he live? Uh, he currently lives in uh, Toronto, but he's Jamaican. He's a Jamaican white guy. Cool. You cannot understand anything that he says. I but love the, the if he will write it down, you can understand. <laughs> uh, and he, uh, M- Mike, was very bored at home. Yeah. At all, like literally, like I've been in distilleries with him. I went to the Woodford Reserve Distillery with him last year, and he talked to me about the problems that they had at that distillery before it was Woodford Reserve. Yeah. Uh, but when he he got called in to work on a problem there in the 1960s. And then he could talk about how that affected their spirit in the 70s. Wow. And then how they made an adjustment in the 70s and how that affected their spirit in the 80s. Yeah. Things like that. That's Things that brilliant. you can't get yeah. from, it, there are no books on it. Like this is such a Pre-internet. Lot, sorry. Yeah, pre-internet, ultimately. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Totally pre-internet. And then there's no information generation uh, uh, source, right. right? Like there's not people, there's not a place where you go and say, I want to be on the forefront of innovation in whiskey. Right. Like, where do you we, go? Innovation isn't part of our model in Kentucky and Tennessee. Right. And so um, the we so we went looking around the world. We were lucky to find him. Very, very fortunate. Through a back channel, we got introduced to him. And he's, he has worked at, you know, distilleries kind of throughout North America and Canada, Jose Cuervo and Tequila. He, he had like a worldwide experience yeah. in spirits. And so we said, Mike, we want to design something that will be able to bring forth the flavor that we have locally in our grains. And so uh, from a technique standpoint, a traditional bourbon still has three trays that are used to rectify the spirit. Mm -hmm. So you strip the alcohol out with a certain number of stripping trays, and then you have these three rectification trays. And they're used to kind of separate out three different kind of classes, if you will, of alcohol. Uh, And so the... The great thing about those trays is that um, you, you really have a lot of control with just three trays. Uh, they, there are, there's quite a bit of difference in the kinds of spirits that you can create with just those three trays. But we really wanted to have something that would give us a lot more control because mm-hmm. uh, you can't really anticipate when you haven't made spirits from these grains you know, in uh, you know, about 100 years. Right. Uh, you can't control, you can't already know what you need in order to bring out those flavors. So we designed more of a research still. Ours has 12 trays rather than three. uh, And it allows us to separate out more uh, distillates. Uh um, At varying levels. At varying levels, varying proofs and Mm -hmm. uh, different chemical composition uh, based on that 
the things that have come naturally from our local grains. Yeah. We want to be able to capture that flavor, not kind of, you know, take a rudimentary... Uh, and, well, you and, want to pinpoint... It sounds like you want to pinpoint the things you love and be able to pull the things yes, you love. Yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. That makes perfect sense. And so, um, so the, the na- even the name Still Austin was about the still itself, yeah. the technique. Um, and it's... Uh, we 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 put a lot of effort into kind of designing a very unique still that would allow us to have more control over right. the spirits that we make. But we also um, decided that we really wanted to have a copper pot still, which is kind of more traditional for craft. Absolutely. Um, and but rather than make that copper pot still the focus of our production, make it an open lab. Mm-hmm. It is a, and, and kind of create the way for people to spend a day with us making their own barrel of whiskey. I see. Uh, and so we've got a lot of people here who lo- like are awesome brewers. I've had I've been to so many people's homes where they've made uh, home brews that are phenomenal, mm-hmm. very creative, very innovative. Um, uh, and because whiskey comes from beer, sure. uh, why not extend that craft? And so we really wanted to be able to do that. So we. Uh, kind of created this whole, it's called DYOB is what we're going to call it. Uh, distill your own, <laughs> no, distill your own okay, barrel. Uh, and so you, you can spend a day with us. Yeah. Uh, it's made for a group. It's not made to be like an individual experience. Right. It's made for a team. So form a team of friends or whatever. Um, spend a day with us. Distill your own barrel of whiskey. We'll store it on site. You can come back and taste it, see how it is maturing. Mm. And when it's done, you know, and we kind of agree that it is mature, yeah. then uh, we'll have a barreling party and everybody walk out with a bottle of uh bourbon or whiskey that they have made right and kind of the idea with it too is to kind of expose the craft kind of give people an opportunity to kind of play with it and encourage more innovation here locally sure uh we would be super happy and i'm so delighted that you guys are our neighbors uh (laughs) but i think that it will be it would be awesome if we had like it especially like in our kind of quadrant of austin but anyway in in the uh, greater austin area have innovation in spirits and let Austin kind of grow up as a place to see that that craft Absolutely, kind of yeah. developed. And we wanted to be part of that learning, like where we could not get access to this type of information, uh, partially just because it didn't exist and partially because it existed in the minds of people who have, you know, 60 years of experience. It's in, all, yeah, it's all this appearance. Exactly. It's not committed to page yet. Exactly. There To get that information out there, you almost need an internet of people that are kind of connecting to the craft spirits sure. making process. But since it's still a felony to make spirits at home yourself, it's which is barrier to entry, right absolutely there. ridiculous um, uh, and, and ought to change, uh, the, uh, we needed a lab to be able to do that. So right. we would be delighted if people came to Still Austin, uh, uh, participated at whatever level and right. uh, either, you know, just giving us feedback on spirits that we're making or uh, all the way to making their own uh, spirits at our space, yeah, within our space. And then uh, go forth, start their own, uh, uh, their own operations. We may invest in them, but, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's that's a great a crazy, thing for us. It's a crazy thing. So this is interesting. So, so one, give me, give me a little more of an understanding of kind of the time frame of this. So you and your dad visiting all these distilleries around the world, Kentucky mostly. You've got access to this ex Appleton distiller, right? Which is, Appleton's you know, great. like expert guy. Mm-hmm. So when, so what year are we talking? Was this idea finally kind of formed? Okay, so um, in 2013 okay. is when we decided we wanted to give this a shot. Got it. So we we had visited a couple of distilleries. We 
had done a little bit of feasibility study. Mm. I was astounded to see that it actually could be feasible. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, this is that one in a hundred ideas that actually sure. could has a good chance of working out. And we found uh, our uh, business partners and friends that we've uh, kind of gotten started with. So we kind of formalized things in uh, uh, in just right at the end of January of 2013. Killer, okay. And so then um, we began the process of uh looking for a space yes. to do this <laughs> yeah. which um i'll tell you a little story uh you want to hear again an interesting story yeah sure um deal with the city there's plenty of those stories Chris. i'll well i'm gonna connect why this is <laughs> uh i i love like when things that happened centuries ago affect us today yeah okay like and it's amazing how many things are that way. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, there was a guy. Uh, most people do not know that prohibition in the United States actually began in Austin, Texas. Oh, geez, really? It did. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Morris Shepard. Uh, he's referred to as the father of prohibition. Son of a bitch. He came. I know. Can you believe it? Of all places, <laughs> know, like the drinking capital of that's why of we the got, United States. We're overcompensating probably. now. I, I know. Think. I'm <laughs> telling you, but. Um, Morris Shepard, uh, he was from Texarkana okay. originally, and he moved to Austin, and he came to go to UT. He uh, attended classes, did his undergrad. Uh, he made some friends. Uh, one very close friend, a roommate of his, became later became the governor of Texas. Oh, jeez. Uh, another one became a um, U.S. senator. And uh, he came from a bit of a political family. Okay. He, had, he, he was known as being a very persuasive speaker sure. and... He had a lot of political ambitions. Um, he went on to law school at UT, and he uh, he began to look around uh, and see kind of what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And probably the biggest political thing happening at that time was all of a sudden America was going to let women have a say right. in what the future of America would be oh, by letting them vote. Come on. Yeah. I know it was it was I'm amazing. talking about going back to the past now, Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, so antiquated back then. But he really was a He was a very good political animal. He uh -huh. understood how to get things done, uh, and he saw the women's suffrage movement as something that was going to happen. Sure. And uh, he aligned with it pretty pretty tightly and kind of riding on the backs of the suffragettes, uh -huh. he came to power on a platform saying, I will bring prohibition to the United States if elected. Oh, jeez. He wrote the legislation which led to the 18th Amendment uh, to the U.S. Constitution yeah. enshrining prohibition. Oh, no. He did all of the political backdealing to get it ratified state by state. He was the sole author of the Shepard D.C. Bone Dry Act, which prohibited the production, distribution, or consumption of alcohol in the District of Columbia. Oh, man. And he was the main author of the Volstead Act, which provided unlimited no financial resources yeah. for enforcement of all of his legislation. So all for a political career, and perhaps a lucrative one. Well, um, I will Is that say fair? this. He, it, it would appear. Yeah. Um, it would he, appear. Okay, that's it. would it. appear. You, may, you, may, you might say he... It's hard to tell. I mean, he's somewhat akin to a present-day Ted Cruz. Oh. He became sort of a uh, a Methodist while he was... He be, not sort yeah. of a Methodist. He, be, he became a Methodist as right. part of his political ascent. He uh, 
he connected with a certain demographic and and there was uh quite honestly a saloon culture at the time that was men only and yeah. destroying families. I see. Okay. And so he he saw that as an opportunity to get votes and kind of make the world a better place. Right. And, you know, like these people are complicated, right? Well, it, they, it always has the when you take away booze and cable TV, <laughs> turns into The Shining. So just keep Indeed. in mind. It, well, and it seemed to happen for him too. I'll tell you the rest of the story. Uh after kind of in, in he, he mean he was a law making machine mm-hmm. he put in place so much restriction i mean it was unbelievable however at the height of the glory of the prohibition era a moonshine still producing 130 gallons of moonshine per day was found on his texas ranch oh see <laughs> he is smart he found found a market for it he, he created the market one for might it. <laughs> wonder if he was somehow involved yeah. in a underground but he, oh, he claimed to be a dry to the very last day right. and if you can believe it the on the very last day of prohibition when the 21st amendment was about to be ratified he was a senator at the time uh-huh. And he took uh, a final last-ditch effort to try to save his legacy. And he uh, started a uh, filibuster on the Senate floor okay. to try to filibuster the passing of the repeal of Prohibition. Tw- 20, uh, Amendment 21, right. Okay. And he spent his entire day begging any other dry senator to come to his aid, and not one ever would. Well, because there never has been a dry senator. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way. I don't care what they say. Anyway, Morris Shepard put in place a quagmire of laws. Yeah. And those laws didn't go away when Prohibition was over. The three-tier system that we have today, uh, where manufacturers sell to distributors, distributors Mm -hmm. sell to retailers, retailers sell to bars and restaurants, and eventually to customers, is intended to make alcohol more difficult to get, more difficult to make, and more expensive for the consumer. That is its stated intent. Mm -hmm. And so all of these kind of post-prohibition laws are the uh, sort of legacy that was left over from Morris Shepard, our famous Austinite, uh, wow. And if you can believe it, those laws are the reason there has never been a whiskey distillery in Austin all the way until today. Interesting. So what did you have to do to work with the county, to work with the city to say, we're going to do this, guys. You with us or not? It was a it was a major undertaking. Yeah. I mean, like you probably understand zoning issues. Oh, yeah. And uh, as you probably know, that distilling is currently allowed in the same zones where uh the manufacturing of nuclear weapons is allowed in sure. austin right that's this, right they, yeah. they, they, those are the great places so any place where you see them making nuclear weapons in austin go there you, you're ready to start a distillery that's perfect so i love it zoning that's a local issue um there are things like infrastructure you know we don't really have uh places that really kind of are already pre-made uh to be able to support a whiskey distillery right. uh the you know we we i mean probably one of the more interesting quirks of austin in the entire state of new york there are two fire engineers that's it in the entire state of texas there are 11 nine of which work for the city of austin no kidding yeah and so at one point i told our our liaison at the fire department who is a fire engineer uh yvonne espinosa 
happy anniversary, Yvonne. <laughs> you know <laughs> that today is the two-year anniversary of me asking for your approval oh my on gosh. our project. That's amazing. Um, because they, they're in the, I don't know how many pages, maybe 1,100 pages of fire code, every single one of them were, were reviewed Uh to make sure we were 100% compliant. That's incredible. So like there's this kind of, that that is kind of a function of Austin, Texas. Sure. Um, well, we're, we're preserving a culture here, which is okay. Absolutely. Right? You know, absolutely. You throw the, paperwork at it basically. <laughs> and you have to be local to be able to get all this crap done. That's right. Uh, yeah. Like it, it is, it does kind of have the intended uh, effect. But mm -hmm. the you, this is a very long answer to the question of how long did it take you guys to get this done? And so we started in 2013. We're now in 2016. Um, we will be open next year uh, in 2017. So Amazing. about about a four year process yeah. altogether. Because the licensing's done. I saw all the. Oh yeah, licensing and... long long since done. Like the, uh, for federal licensing, state licensing. Um, we're going through kind of the process with our uh, label approvals now. Sure, we just sure. got some actually yesterday approved. So that's exciting. But oh cool. The. Uh, all of the regulatory things at the state and uh, federal level, they are there, they are time consuming, but nothing compared to the local level. Right. And so it just took a long time. It also, we were fortunate, um, the, our landlord had a vision of creating a space where people could go and have uh, kind of a, uh, a multifaceted experience of making. Right. Like the, this little part of Austin, uh, the St. Elmo district, it has always been makers. Yeah, uh, oh, sure. You know, they, All it's a manufacturing it's area. It's a manufacturing town, yeah. area. But like what is manufactured today and kind of the forefront of manufacturing, it's different. Mm -hmm. uh, but those different things have not found their way into this traditional manufacturing area. Right. And so he wanted to create the concept for the yard was to have a maker space that was a place that people could experience the things being made, right. kind of explore them. So it's, you know, we've got ourselves um, uh, in, in the yard. Uh, then uh, there are two breweries, uh, St. Elmo Brewing is uh -huh. right next door to us. And those guys open in uh, uh, December, opening right? next week. Oh, it's uh, next week? Well, I think soft opening. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're super excited with them. We have Austin Winery. There's a cidery, yeah. uh, right? Just really right across the street. That's incredible. Um, and then it's other makers too, like uh, SUP ATX. If you want to have a custom oh, yeah, yeah, board yeah. Sign, made. Right? I mean, yeah. like, uh, no, it's the um, uh, paddle boards. Oh, And so oh, you can wow. go and have a, like, you can have your paddleboard uh, made, customized there on site, and they are even installing like a large swimming pool in the middle of their oh manufacturing uh, facility, uh, which is actually right across the parking lot from Still Austin. That's killer. Um, where you can you know try it out. And yeah. so the uh, drop house is there, big major art installations and, and signs and things like that. I mean, like there's really cool makers. Trying to create a district. Exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. It kind of again, push and perpetuate this culture of creators and yes. makers. Austin's already very tech-centric, mm -hmm. but getting your hands dirty, yeah. you got a lot to learn, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot to talk about there. So, all right, so we've got, you're about four years in, you guys say you're planning to open next year, yes. right? So talking about the products themselves and the aesthetic of the product, so like the bottles and, and such, because uh -huh. I think we've got a good idea of you wanting to be very calculated in how they taste and the methods, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a brilliant way to approach it, dissecting it, you know, at that almost molecular level. But it, for your customers, when they're in retail, let's say, what kind of experience do you want to convey with your brand? The Boston? package? Yeah. Um, 
Well, okay, so you can see the package on the website. Yeah, uh, that's and kind nice. of get a, so, sli- a, a sense of it. We, you know, we looked around. We saw what what is on the shelf from Kentucky and Tennessee. It has right. something that really resembles the rural Kentucky lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Texas whiskeys in general, they have Texas Cowboys, Texas Stars, right. and you know, I'm not a cowboy. They, are you, Chris? I am really not a cowboy. I'm, I, I mean, I am either, a rural but, person, yeah. but I. I don't really desire the Kentucky lifestyle. Right. Um, like I'm not like dying to move to Tennessee. I am in Austin because I prefer the Austin lifestyle. Right. And it's urban. It's more diverse. It's more accepting and celebratory of our differences. Totally. And so we intentionally chose something that did not look like a regular whiskey. It feels modern. Very it, modern. And it's colorful and diverse. Mm-hmm. We wanted something and, and straightforward. It's not trying to be flashy. We're not putting sex on the bottle. Right. We're not putting a bunch. We're not putting things that are uh, trying to like manipulate your brain, right. but we are wanting to say we're independent, uh, we are adventurous, um, we're innovative, yeah. uh, and this is what Austin whiskey is. It's amazing. Uh, so things that kind of resemble our values here um, and, and what makes Austin really a great place to be. What will be to the first product, because I'm sure it's going to be a vast portfolio of stuff as time moves on, especially as you experiment, but what do you consider to be what will be the flagship products for you? Okay. Um, we have uh, made the strategic decision that we are going to be releasing products for a while with a lot of innovation, a lot of testing. In fact, yeah. we're going to create this kind of opportunity for people to come to the distillery and help us with the sure. uh, de- uh, kind of the development yeah. side of it. But we're going to launch uh, with four whiskeys that uh, are made to sort of push the edges okay. of what whiskey is. So I can, it, I have not actually even told anybody publicly what they are. Do you want to? Let's 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 drop it. Yeah, okay. I would love to hear. Uh, so our first one is going to be our new make whiskey. Okay. Uh, so when we started looking for our inspiration for our new make whiskey, we wanted something that spoke to our local grains, mm-hmm. kind of all the things that I've been talking about. But we also wanted something that connected us to the culinary culture here. Sure, it makes sense for our area. Um, so we put together a tasting panel. Uh, uh, local mixologist, um, uh, sommeliers, uh, bar owners, mm-hmm. uh, people that we invited to kind of talk with us about what they what they taste in a distillate, what they um, what what it what do they like in it, sure. what they don't like. What, what, I, what, what really uh, lights their fire? And, right? <laughs> and they, well, yeah, there is like what they like about it, and then also. We wanted negative feedback too. There's a lot of moonshine that is made that tastes quite terrible, right? right? Like we didn't want to have, we didn't, we're not a moonshine company. And so, uh, and we, we're not a vodka company. We're not a gin company. And right. we're creating a whiskey that is truly something that probably hasn't been uh, made, well made uh, in solidly over a hundred years. Right. And so we really had to kind of think about what makes sense for kind of all these things together. And so- we had kind of a series of uh, times where we talked to people, kind of do some tasting, um, give give us feedback, and and you know a, a fair amount of negative feedback too to kind of help us. You need be able both. To, yeah, you don't the, want just people pandering, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But um, uh, my favorite moment was uh, I, my last question at every tasting panel is, "What would you do with this product?" Sure. And uh, uh, with our uh, blue label new make whiskey, uh, uh, we knew we were done when uh, they said I would serve it neat. Nice. So we were like, perfect. There you go. So it has uh, notes from the grains that are from our area, a slight caraway note, a slight, very, very mild. uh, It's it's a very soft spirit, but it 
uh, is a very mild caramel note, yeah. uh, a very mild note of baked bread. And it's not hot like vodka. Yeah. So it kind of makes for a nice mixing uh, uh, spirit. Uh, and But also is it, it's relatively neutral like it's not it's not it, it's nothing like a gin right right uh, i mean these are very very mild flavors it's very versatile but for very cocktail pleasant. making but very pleasant yeah you can drink it by itself and it's great what proof did you guys decide on uh 92 Beautiful. uh we, we we chose a high proof for it good um and that and even the proofing decision was was informed by sure uh, our our and you got Culinary. So you said it's a blue label. So blue label. One of four, I think we're going to talk One of four. About. So, so blue label, new, new make whiskey. At 46, uh, or excuse me, 92%. 92%. Yes, 40, 46%. Exactly. ABV. Yes. 750s. Uh, and uh, 375s. Killer. Both. Okay. Um, and so uh, the second, um, we looked to, uh, we wanted to have some things that would kind of speak to our uh, region, but make this product a little more accessible. Okay. And so uh, our second product that we uh, have is uh, uh, it is infused with three peppers from three different pepper families. Love it. And so we chose a roasted serrano, which has mm. kind of the roasted yeah. uh, smoky oh, yeah. notes of a, of, a, of a smoked pepper or a roasted pepper. Um, an ahi amarillo, uh, Ooh, which yeah. has a very nice uh, zesty citrus yeah, uh, flavor light, to kind it. Kind of poppy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, chili piquin, our, oh, our, yeah. our uh, hot, spicy Texas. Punchy, punchy uh, little buggers, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, the, what is it, I guess the official state uh, is it? pepper. Oh, yeah. killer. I, I, yeah, it is. And so, um, but uh, we, we wanted it to be hot, not too hot, a lot of flavor, a lot yeah. of, you know, and it's, it's an infusion of those three peppers, all of which are grown here in Austin yeah. in our new make whiskey, and Amazing. we're calling it Mother Pepper. Mother Pepper. Yes, it's kind of, it's spicy, so yeah. we thought... And, the, and each of these peppers kind of comes from them. They're they're higher up in the breeding of their yeah. uh, category. Or, so so blue label, new make. Red. This is red label. Mother pepper, red label. Uh, or, orange. Orange. orange okay. That's fair. Uh-huh. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. It's got. Well. Yeah. It's it's orange. I'd I'm, say. I may yeah. be colorblind, so it's mm-hmm. an orange red for me. <laughs> the uh, uh, third that we are uh, uh, gonna have available is a citrus uh, uh, flavored uh, whiskey and. It, it does not have any sugar, but it's an infusion of citrus flavor. Right. Using three different citrus, uh, tangelo, which is grown in the valley. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and they, we have we have some of the best tangelo. Like the, the tangelos that come from Texas Valley mm-hmm. are a lot more flavor robust than other places in the nation. And so we're really excited about having that local connection. Sure. Uh, we have Valencia. That's grown everywhere. It's grown here in Texas as well. Yeah. And Bergamot. Bergamot oh, is I a... Oh, I love Bergamot. Yeah, yeah. it's great. And, you, but, you talk about gin, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, and so... Those three citrus uh, together, we wanted to have something that would go great in a mimosa yeah. or a if you wanted to put it as a substitute in your margarita, be something that's good for day drinking, and we're calling it Daydreamer. Sure, that's brilliant. So mother, so new make mother pepper Daydreamer. Daydreamer, and, and then that our same third? proof there too. So we're talking forty six. Uh, uh, the uh, for mother pepper and for uh, our. Uh, uh, Daydreamer, both of those are 80 proof. Okay. okay. Brought the proof down a little bit. Be able to have a little bit more of the citrus sure, uh, and pepper sense. flavors. But same uh, base. Same base. Make, right? The okay. new make is the same base. So we just got to bring the proof down a bit. Cool. Uh, the Number last four. One, yeah, the last wait. one is still in development. We don't have a name for it. Sure. But um, the we wanted to kind of uh, really celebrate sort of what are the clear whiskey expressions of the world. Mm-hmm. Kind of look to other places for our inspiration and so we actually looked kind of across the pond and uh, looked at uh, 
Jennifer or okay, yeah. uh, Geneva, depending on uh, your pronunciation, sure. as a uh, as a inspiration for making a whiskey uh, that has a gin infusion in it. Interesting. And so that one is still in development right now. Uh, the it, Gen- Jennifer, it it has like it. it there are different methods for making Jennifer, but it is much more akin, like traditionally, especially old the old uh, style of Jennifer, right. much more akin to a whiskey base. Uh, low proof at distillation. B- barley-ish. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. lots of things. Yeah, uh, the uh, malt flavors are really kind of coming out in, right. the, yeah. uh, in the spirit, and then it's an infusion of botanicals that are trying to balance with those uh, natural grain flavors. Yeah. And so we intend to make it funky, fun, uh, really kind of turn up the volume on wow. the grain and uh, see what it pairs with locally. We've been playing a little bit with sage and other things that kind of are easy to gather in our area. Yeah. Um, and so we have really been lucky that we found uh, Jason White joined our team uh, uh, going back about half a year ago now. He's a, was he a, he's a, he's a chef. And Rye? Uh, he was at yeah. Emmer and Rye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yes, exactly. Um, he's, he's worked with a lot of chefs kind of all throughout Austin, mainly like in their fermented foods. So right. like he was, I see his at, pictures, man. It's crazy. Like, oh, how yeah, you, how'd you amazing. get that to ferment? They're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. And, uh, it, like with Uchi, he helped with their development of their, so, their in-house soy sauce yeah. and kimchi. And so he's got like this great, uh, local fermentation background. And he really was really instrumental in creating like just from his relationships with the culinary scene, with the farm, local farms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, been, has been huge, but he's kind of leading the way in the development of our uh, uh, experimentation with our Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to have like another whiskey expression that would really just kind of push the edges, not not be what you're expecting with whiskey, and and make a statement about that. Yeah. Uh, that we are not going to we're we're not we don't intend for Austin to be compared forever to Kentucky, Tennessee, or uh, uh, any more so than we would you know. Scotland or uh, Japan, right? Or uh, uh, or Appleton Rum in the Caribbean. Like it should be a spirit that stand, a spirit that stands on its own. Even though we fit within the uh, the parameters, they're parameters. They're loose. Of, I mean, yeah. all I we mean, make is whiskey, right? Uh, so we stick to the standards of identity for whiskey. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, the we wanted something that would kind of be you know independent and yeah. of this place. So. It's amazing, finally, kind of securing a seat at the table in a sense, you know. Well, we hope that Austinites will try and enjoy and experiment with us. Yeah. Um, oh, I think I don't think I have a problem with that. I, I don't. <laughs> they, they, they like to come drink and they like to come talk about things. They're truly interested in how the how how is this made? Yes. You know, and I think that that, that inquisitive mind, especially for people in Austin, is really exceptional and it's really lovely it to is. get to share that stuff with them. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's the best place for finding that. There's oh, no yeah. better market for people that give and they care about things. Like they're right. you know, like the they're it, this is not like kind of blind consumer taste panels or that sort of thing. Yeah. It's people that are very interested and they want to be connected to and even maybe extend what you're doing. Totally. It's a great environment, great ecosystem for innovation and so we feel really lucky to to be here at this time, this time in history, yeah. and all the things coming together. Very, I mean, really a wonderful is. time, wonderful era, makers, creators, thinkers. So these four whiskeys that sound really remarkable, and I can't wait. And I hope that, that once they're they're out there and you've got to, I would 
absolutely relish the opportunity to sip her with you. Oh, we will. We will be doing it. Good. We will be doing it. That's brilliant. So when can we expect these skews, these marks to hit the market? Um, We really want to focus on the distillery uh, first. Um, So our initial plan is to launch them only there. Oh, that's so, amazing. Because okay. the, the, the problem I, I see is that uh, while we want people to drink our products, yeah. uh, that's, a, you know, that's, that's every, every spirit maker wants people to be able to right, right. drink them. We have a lot of learning. Uh, we, are, we, do not have, we didn't hire a formulation specialist to Good. come in and make something that will hit the target market or any other BS like that. Yeah. We wanted something that will speak to our area. And since that has not been done for a hundred years, we aren't going to be able to do that, you know, immediately from day one. Right. Uh, so we we wanted, and we also wanted to engage with people who want to engage with us. Sure. And so still Austin is made as a place to come and spend time with us You can come and do a tasting yeah. and uh, do a tour of, of still Austin um, you can hang out in the whiskey garden, which is just for, you know, fun games, um, and that sort of thing, uh, sign up and, and do, uh, DYOB. Yeah. Uh, we, but we really want still Austin to be a community space. That's a maker space. That's so different. And so we didn't see when we started to look at like, you know, just all these laws that make it difficult to distribute. I'm sure that you have, uh, oh, yeah. potentially run into some of sure. those, uh, challenges, I mean, uh, not to disparage because uh, everybody has their own business, but there are distributors out there that if I come in with something that's thoughtful, innovative, and you know has a couple of years of hard work behind it, the first thing that they will say is, shut up, get out of here, and bring me back a vodka, and don't come back until you have one. Mm. That the, the level of innovation yeah. in the distribution model is almost none. I, whole other conversation, I absolutely agree with you. Because I've got some very strong thoughts on that that yeah. piece of it. But I'll tell you this. I think that what you guys are doing is ambitious. I think you'll deliver on it. I think changing the culture of drinking and how you interact with those spirits via Still Austin down there in the St. Elmo district, it's a really bold move. And I think it's really going to work. And I'm really, it's a pleasure that we're neighbors. I you know, know. I mean, I'm we so can, excited. We walk out and I was like, oh, there's the, that's the build out. You know, we, I th- I'm pretty sure that we can just take a look at it every we time. We just walk, walk to each other's faces. Yeah. It's perfect. I don't even have to drive. Awesome. It's perfect. So I'll drink a barrel of whiskey and I'll just walk <laughs> back to the distillery. But, but I was so excited about that too because I think that there's so much, like that there is a lot of land in this area yeah. uh, that will change over time. Um, it's a great place for spirit making. And I think that we can help each other. Like when you ha- so. when you have like that shared innovation, that there's you know why why couldn't there be innovation down the distribution chain or oh. uh, I don't know we can't like we have these laws that allow that won't allow us to get involved in the distribution. Right. But if we congregate, then there is an opportunity for other people to think innovatively as well, and you never know what will come of that. It's gonna be the start. Of a beautiful relationship, Chris. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited about me it. too. The one, I, um, I there's one thing I didn't say that I think I have never said this on an interview before, uh, but I actually think it is probably something that's super important yeah. to what we're about. Um, the other re and you kind of reminded me of it because you brought up you know how we're going to launch and stuff. Um, the thing that was so powerful for me about Still Austin is that it brought my dad and I together. That's amazing. It yeah. was, it. we have the most beautiful 
rich, deep relationship today from all of the adventures and hard things and great moments. Uh, so, I mean, there is a there is no way that I could have a story like I have today uh, in any other thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Like, I have this unbelievable rich relationship with my dad who I love very, very much. And I feel his love for me in a way that I have never felt it before. And whiskey is what brought us together. It's amazing. And that is, to me, what sharing a whiskey with someone is. Yeah, It's not a shot. It's not just getting drunk, although those things can be fun. Sure. Um, it's saying, you have a high value, and I'm going to celebrate that. Yeah. And... Uh, to me, that is what I want people to experience when they come to Still Austin. Share something together. Have have that time that you're setting aside right. for celebrating that person and affirming their worth. It's beautiful, man. I can't top that. Thank you so much for chatting, Chris. It's yeah. a pleasure. Uh, happy to be here. And ha- super, super happy about what's ahead. Yeah, man. It's looking good. Well, there we have it, Mr. Chris Seal, CEO and co-founder of Still Austin Whiskey Company. The whiskey will soon be flowing. I'm sure that this addition, this innovation, this attention to detail about grains and flavor and textures will be an amazing addition to the spirits industry in general and really put Texas on the map even more than it already is in terms of whiskey. Us Austinites really have something to look forward to, something of the likes we have never seen before booze-wise. And amazing story about Chris and his father, what it took for them to bond, what it took for them to forge this relationship in a new, elevated, evolved way. I mean, it it had to have been really, really tough. It was great getting to share that kind of moment with Chris. It's also really cool to hear about the history of Prohibition as it pertains to Austin, particularly. Some little-known facts, some little-known nuggets there. And Chris kind of helping me understand how Prohibition came to be and how whiskey and its history in Texas has really evolved. I hope that still Austin Whiskey Company is yet another punctuation and a new chapter in Spirits for Texas. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V. No matter how many times you're going to go back and see La La Land because it is beautiful, stunning, yet really, really heartbreaking. Or how many times you're going to favorite John Legend owning Trump's tweets. Please keep dancing.